comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. together from remote galaxies are some of the most sinister podcasters of all time the long box of doom dedicated to a single objective the conquest of the comic book universe Welcome, everyone, to the Long Box of Doom, episode 244. This is our June BS show. So this is our comic-centric BS show. Uh, this is Russ, and joining with me tonight are Jim and Jordan. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. It's been a while since we've done a comics BS show, huh? I know. It's. It's. I think uh, that was one of the things I was going to say as we got started here, is that uh, we apologize for things being a little lax here since we've restarted everything. Um, but I think we're finally getting back to on track with stuff. I think, uh, just, I know for me, just kind of personal stuff going on and then just with all the technical stuff. And I know everybody else has kind of been running around crazy and with John being on hiatus for a while. Uh, I, I think we finally, we finally get back into a bit of a rhythm here with all the shows, not just, not just LOD, but, but everything else. Um, we'll have real heroes coming up next week for Man of Steel. So I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, and so I think I think we can get back on track w- with this one. Um, Let, let's put it this way: not being on time is just one of the many ways that we are not the same as Mussolini. That is true. I don't know that I would go for that analogy, but it it, it does fit. And it's certainly a good thing. Who wants to be like Mussolini? Nobody. So some of you might have noticed we we've uh, split things out a little bit. So we have the really BS show, the really big show. That that is to talk about like all the non-comic stuff, so we don't short shrift the comic stuff, because um, a, a lot of us have been reading. We kind of we kind of went through a phase where we kind of waned a little bit. I think on the on the comic side, things were getting a little stale, and I think we're we're all kind of making a turn uh, uh, the other way around. I know at least I have. I I mean, even though I've made a pretty big digital switch, uh, I, I in general I've been reading a lot more books than I was, you know, probably even just a few, you know, six or eight months, maybe a year ago. Um, and a lot of that, I think, as, as we'll talk about tonight, is uh, the independent stuff, a lot of the image, you know, boom, IDW, uh, Valiant even, uh, stuff coming out. DC's doing some interesting stuff. I, I think we've talked about, I know at least I've talked about uh, some of the digital initiative stuff that they've been doing. I know Jim, is, in general, has been reading a few more, like the, the dark titles and things like that. Um, and then I think we're all kind of like on a Marvel high lately, which I think a, a lot of people are. And judging by the, the sales numbers, I think... Um, you know, most of you out there are as well. So, yeah, I never really hit a valley in my comics buying, but I've definitely been buying more books than ever now, thanks to Marvel now and all the good independents coming out. Yeah, it's, it's interesting for me as far as DC with their new strategy. I really, I don't read any of the core books anymore, except for Batman, the adjectiveless Batman uh, by uh, Snyder and Capullo. But as far as like Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Flash. Uh, Justice League. I don't read any of those anymore. Just a few of the the fringe books um, that I'm really enjoying uh, on on the, that side. 
Yeah, I know. We in the past we've kind of talked about how our um, our love for DC has kind of uh, fallen off. Uh, you know, and I think that's that's kind of unfortunate because I think there were more books that were were good as opposed to bad um, when it first started out. But I think it's just for me, it's it's fizzled. I mean, I, like I said, I've talked about this before, but it's it's not that I don't. It's not that I think they're doing anything particularly bad. It's just I'm not real high on the take on on the on the takes on a lot of the characters. I'm not really that crazy about what they've done with Superman, and he's always kind of been um, on the on the DC side. Probably my favorite, um, or pretty pretty close to it. I've I've got a pretty uh, of all the the DC I have in the past. It's it's heavily weighted on Superman and then Batman. But I, I just I'm not real big on that. And some of the other takes I haven't been real. Uh, happy with. I was hoping for for a, a lighter tone with the majority uh, and a little bit more sm- or smaller scope, I should say. And I don't see that. But I am like you, Jim. I'm getting uh, the main Batman title, the Snyder Capullo Batman title. Um, I did pre-order the first several issues, at least at this point, of Superman Unchained. Uh, and a lot of that, again, is the Snyder writing and the Jim Lee art. Um, but I think, honestly, I think it's more the Snyder writing than it is the, the Jim Lee art at this point. I think he's he's just kind of the golden child at DC right now, I think. It's, it's funny, all, all the DC titles I, I enjoy the most are are the, the th- you know, second and third tier titles. Uh, Jim Starlin just took over Stormwatch, and it's become a totally different book. And it's become much, much better. Uh, he's taken the kind of, you know, half-baked mythology of the, um, the Daemonites and really made it interesting and, and cool in his... I mean, it's Jim Starlin writing cosmic stuff. Uh, if you like that, like I do, go get it, because <laughs> it's exactly what it is. Uh, he's working with some really good uh, artists in collaboration as well. So, I mean, he's really turned that book around. Um, I really enjoy Talon. Uh, again, the Snyder influence. you got James Tinian IV, who I got to meet at Heroes Con, which I guess we'll talk about later. Um, uh, I've been really enjoying that from DC. And probably my favorite DC book right now is Justice League Dark. Uh, Jeff Lemire. And, uh, and Guy Fox and, and, and the Michael Jen and art. It just really, I think it's a dark horse, uh, that a lot of people are overlooking. And it's a really well written, well crafted and, and, and fun book. But it's like you said, Russ, as far as the, you know, the main, you know, DC core titles, I really don't have any interest in the new relaunch, um, at all. You know, I, I like these, these second and third tier books that have been coming out. Uh, Swamp Thing and Animal Man is another, are another, you know, couple of good examples. But as far as, you know, like you said, Superman and, uh, and, and the, the core titles, I'm really just not interested since the new 52. Now, th- this is probably going to sound like uh, Marvel fanboy DC hate, and it's totally not. I have nothing against DC. But, I mean, even though I don't read um, any of their regular, you know, uh, in-continuity books, I do pay attention to the news and I do read up about industry trends and all that kind of stuff. And I, I try to keep myself informed because I like the medium. But I've noticed they keep doing these kind of themed months. And to me, I just like like I'm saying, as an outside observer looking in, it seems kind of gimmicky. But how have the books actually been doing under these theme months? Have they only done one so far and others to come in the future? Or have they already done two? I, I can't remember. Well, they did... The I first to count the zero month, that kind of yeah. The zero month. month was like the first one, and all those books like did really, really well. I mean, the the numbers shot up, I think, across the board, and I think it was that cover style. Uh, recently, they did, at least on the Batman books, they did the um, the gate, the cutaway covers, or the the 
Um, well, they've, they've had the two things. The Death of the Family ones? <clears throat> yeah, they had the Death of the Family ones, and then they recently did the what they originally called the WTF month that they've renamed. Um, and I think the numbers on those are just now coming out, and, and I think they've, in general, they've done fairly well. And, and I don't really mean in terms of uh, sales, because I, I can follow that pretty easily, but right. in terms of the actual reception for the stories have people been happy with them or has it been like to me it, it kind of reeks of editorial mandate of okay this month everybody has to do this and that doesn't you know necessarily mean a story is going to be bad but it doesn't give the writer as much freedom to tell the stories they want. i think they're going to start having fatigue with that strategy though i know they have a villains month coming up where uh, they're going to be adding even more titles because they have you know more villains than they have heroes and i think you know i i know personally like uh you know, Donnie Salvo and other people I know who buy a lot of DC are really like mad about that, um, and and are going to like probably you know order a lot less that month than they normally would. So I think you know much like with the you know the big event thing that we always had going on with the big two, uh, when was you know everybody got fatigued of that. I think the same thing with these you know gimmick months or whatever. It, it really like it does smack of gimmick gimmickry. It reminds me of the '90s. You know, with the hologram covers and the, you know, chromium inserts and, you know, oh, it's ape month. Every, you know, everybody's going to be an ape, you know, or, <laughs> or, you know, stuff like that. It just, um, you know, it's, I don't know. It, it just, that's why I, I'm into the more story driven and like, you know, like I said, second and third tier books when it comes to DC. Um, because, you know, the core stuff just seems like it's, it just, uh, is relying a lot on gimmickry and a lot of the same people that I didn't like in the nineties are, are there on the, uh, writing and editorial staff of DC now. So, you know, Bob Harris and Scott Lobdell and, yeah. you know, I mean, so that's why I've really cut back my DC, uh, you know, uh, uh reading. I'm, but like Russ is saying though, I've filled that, that gap up with a lot of indies. Um, I'm reading almost all of the, the new Valiant books. Um, I really enjoy a lot of the new image books. Um, Nowhere Men sticks out. Um, you know, IDW and, and Boom and Dynamite. I mean, there are a lot of really, I mean, even, um, uh, you know, DC is still putting out a few things under the vertical imprint, including the, the new Astro City, you know. Um, there, there's a lot of good things out there. There's a lot of great comics out there, you know, to, to read. So, you know, I may be reading a lot fewer DC comics, but it's not that I'm reading fewer comics in general. Other comics have, have you know, filled that void, I guess. Now, yeah. just to yeah. jump back a, a quick second, you mentioned that you mostly read the second and third tier books. Are they also touched by the themed months, or are they exempt? I, I don't know how widely that is applied in the DC line. Well, I mean, the ones I read, Stormwatch is pretty much off in its own little universe of its own. Uh, Talon is pretty much... Um, I, I know they had a thing with the WTF month or whatever, but it really wasn't, you know, tied into anything else. Just, Mostly just a cover then. Right. And the same with the Justice yeah. League Dark. Yeah. Um, it really isn't tied into any other book except for Constantine. Um, they seem to be tied into more, you know, more into one another, uh, than, you know, with the rest of the DCU. Now, when Swamp Thing and Animal Man had that long Rot World crossover, they were pretty much left to themselves. They had nothing to do with anything else going on in the DCU at that point. So I think, you know, while they've folded those, you know, traditionally Vertigo characters back into the DCU, I still think they're kind of keeping them off in their own little corner, which is cool. Um, I know they have that Trinity War thing coming up, and it's supposed to deal with a lot of the Mystic characters. So uh, we'll see what goes on there. If, you know, Justice League Dark will probably be totally affected by that. Yeah, and I think, like with the Zero stuff, that was more like their way to focus on origins for different characters. It was like the early days 
or or origins for new like I think that they had a talent number zero, so that was like the starting of that book. As far as how the stories go, I mean, I read the Batman one, but I, th- I to be honest with you, I, I didn't read any of the other ones, so I can't really tell personally, you know, whether they were you know solid or not. And I, I like Talon. It's kind of like the redheaded stepchild of the Batman books. You know, what I mean, it has like very little to do with the rest of the Bat universe, but it's this cool and little story. It reminds me kind of uh, like Walt Simonson's Manhunter. Uh, they do with Archie Goodwin back in the day, that kind of like um, a man of adventure, espionage, like barely, you know, not super powered so much as as super capable, um, that kind of yeah. flavor. And I know with the upcoming Villains Month, I mean, they're going off the rails with that. I mean, it's the hologram covers, which from what I've seen of them, I've seen like the moving, you know, gifts or whatever. They look really cool. And there's a lot of them that I think would be neat to have, you know, just in, in a collection. But. With as many Batman books as there are, and there are a ton, each Batman book is getting like multiple instances. So there's like a 20, whatever it is, 24.1, 0.2, 0.3, Same thing with the Superman books. You know, there's Action Comics, you know, same, same thing. So each villain kind of gets his own spotlight. So I, and I think other books are not um, going that month for that. So I think I think the title count is up to... I think it's 65 or something like that total yeah, books that they're publishing insane. that month. Oh, and, and yeah. They did the same kind of gimmick once before, too, if you remember that. I think it was called New Year's Evil. Did that guy Neuron yes. come in and jack up all those villains? Yep. And they had, they, they had a week, uh, fifth week event where all the main titles were all villain centric. I remember having a Dark Side uh, uh, comic written by John Byrne, I think. And there was, uh, I know Prometheus was written by Grant Morrison and drawn by Porter. Because uh, at the time they were on JLA, but I mean they've done this gimmick before, and you know I, I just got to hanging out with the DC Noise guys at Heroes Con. They, they're uh, they're mad, you know they're they're PO'd. They they are not happy about you know having to buy more titles that you know really don't tie into anything else. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, they were they were very vocal about it. You know, it's one of the things that really uh, grinded their gears. Uh, and I, I have to agree. I mean, it's just too many comics out there now for them to be gimmicky. I'm sorry. There are too yeah. many other options. It's too prevalent. It's too easy to get comics. I mean, that's why I went to digital was just ease of access, you know? It seems like a very Marvel thing to do. You know, when DC first announced that, I'm like, this is something I would expect out of Marvel. Cause Marvel's, I mean, as much as I love Marvel and I'm, I'm, I'm probably a, a biased Marvel reader, um, but they're very much into the gimmick. I mean, they and and the and the event and stuff. And they they always have been, or at least have been for for quite some time. So I mean, even though I have my bias, I I can acknowledge the fact that the way they behave sometimes is not is not all that great. One of the other things, and Jordan, you kind of touched on a little bit, and I'll be curious if you guys are following this and what your thoughts are. There's been a lot of bad, I hate to say bad press, but it's more like. Folks coming out that used to, you know, Paul Jenkins and Rob Liefeld and, you know, some of the other guys that have recently left D.C. And a lot of them are kind of, you know, Chris Roberson was one, kind of burning their bridge. I mean, and creators have done this, you know, throughout history. They've, they've bad-mouthed, you know, companies they work for and, you know, new regime comes in years later and, you know, all is forgiven and they get work again. But it seems like there's a lot of that going on at DC and a lot of it centers around the fact that there is heavy editorial uh, interference. Um, I've, I've heard some like Jenkins described it almost like bullying. Um, I know Liefeld has been extremely vocal when he, when he finally left 
about what he thought about the editorial influence. But it just seems like, and the numbers have kind of been going down. I mean, just in general. I mean, comic numbers overall are up compared to what they were, I guess, a year or two years ago. But DC share, which you know, in the in the when the new fifty two was new, I mean, they were killing it on market share, and they're seeing it kind of start to dwindle back down to basically what it was before the new 52 last month i guess for may it kind of it kind of peaked back up again a little bit but i think a lot of that was these these wtf covers because i think that those were included in but I'm, i'm finding it very interesting that something that was supposed to start off fresh be new kind of have this this you know new starting point and new vision and now it's it's kind of getting fouled up or at least, you know, based on reports of, you know, we're only hearing one side of the story, we're not really hearing both, but with this heavy editorial influence and writers, you know, in the creator, in the creative side of things, really being stifled and, and controlled. And a lot of it, again, these crossovers, these, um, you know, event-driven things and, st- and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I mean, like, I, I've been following the stories, but I don't really have a strong opinion about it. I don't feel like I deserve to have one, if only because, A, I haven't been reading those books, so I can't really make a judgment call in terms of, oh, this was good, or I just didn't enjoy it at all. Plus, I've never been in the editorial or writer's room at DC, so, uh, you know, I'm doubly removed from the situation. But it, it is certainly troubling, and, and I say that, again, not as an anti-DC thing, but just as a industry fan in, in general, it is... Um, it's disheartening and disturbing a little bit to see, you know, if it's one guy who's complaining, you know, that, that happens. Somebody gets disenfranchised or their book really was messed with, but everybody else is happy when it does seem to be, you know, you know, creator after creator. And, and it's only been so many people, but still multiple people coming out and saying basically the same thing that is, uh, you know, troubling to hear coming out of such a big company like that, especially one that you know, in, you know, for decades thrives on creativity. And when your creatives have such big problems, uh, you might need to reevaluate things a little bit. But again, like I said, I'm doubly removed from the situation. So this is just from the reports I've read. And a lot of those creatives are able to find a market now outside of the big two. I mean, 20 or 30 years ago, you know, outside of an independent comic shop uh, distributed title, there was no way for you to get your comics out there. Now, you know, with the digitals, with Kickstarter, with everything else. I mean, the creators are able to get their, their work out there without having to depend on the you know, editorial mandate from DC or Marvel, you know. And I think that's only going to make, you know, the hobby more interesting as it goes on, at least I hope so. Um, but I, I, how long has Didio been EIC over there now? Has it been like 10 years now? No, well, he was, yeah, yeah I, uh, pretty close. Pretty close, yeah. I think it was O, because he was definitely in before fifth before fifty two, and that was right. It's what Infinite Crisis was O five, I think, and then fifty two was shortly after that. So it's it's been pretty close to that. How time flies. What I, the thing I'm curious about, and I know, you know, Marvel and DC are both owned by huge media conglomerates. I mean. You know, Disney is the biggest one out there. Warner Brothers is huge. And I know a lot of the focus and, and that some of the complaints I'm hearing is a lot of the focus is they just want to build these properties up to make them viable media, you know, viable for me, for other media. So, you know, they don't, the, the consensus seems to be, and I don't, I don't know that this is necessarily true or not. Um, you know, some of this might be, you know, a little bit of sour grapes. So I, I kind of take it with a little bit of grain of salt, even though multiple people are kind of saying the same message. But a lot of these folks are saying that 
they're basically they don't care about the books themselves. They're interested in the properties and making sure they prop them up or position them for other media like TV, movies, other places. And if that's true and the movies don't really take off or the media side doesn't take off, and I think Man of Steel coming is going to be a huge test for that, but I wonder if on the publishing side, if the numbers still kind of stay where they are, they start to slide even further and nothing really gets back to boost them up solid. Um do you think the Dio and Lee are safe in their positions? Do you think maybe DC would start rolling heads and and make a regime, you know, kind of a, you know, change the paradigm again over there? I can't share who told me this story, but at the retailers meeting in uh, I think it was in Chicago not too long ago, the di- the Diamond uh, retailers meeting, uh, Jim Lee came out with a piece of paper and a string, and said that the string represented print sales, and the piece of paper, the width of the string represented print sales and the width of the piece of paper uh, represented digital sales. Saying, you know, the in comparison, the digital sales are a much, much bigger market now for them. Um, and, and as far as propping up the, the IPs, absolutely. I mean, that's that's what the... Now that, you know, Avengers has happened, all bets are off. I mean, all the... You know, any IP could, could you know, take off and, and be a million, you know, million dollar idea in a movie or a cartoon or, or what have you. I mean, Look at, you know, since Marvel has, has grabbed Disney, we, we're seeing Big Hero 6. I mean, who would have ever thought that would have been a cartoon before, you know? I mean, any any properties that is uh, for grabs, of course, they want to prop them up and get them out in the, the public eye. But I, as far as, like, uh, good comics, I don't know. I, I, I like a lot more of the independent stuff than I like from, you know, DC or Marvel. I mean, granted, I, I like, read more Marvel now than I do DC, but I read more you know, everything else than I read either of those two. So I think it's, it's interesting stuff. I think on the DC side, more than the Marvel side, I think the next six to eight months, maybe a year, maybe, maybe six to eight months is too, too soon. But I think a year from now, um, things could be really interesting. And I'd be curious if the print stuff keeps sliding. And like you said, Jim, that's interesting about the, uh, about the digital, um, you know, that they're, that they're, you know, telling that, you know, telling retailers that, that, if they really start to get more aggressive on the digital side. I mean, we've seen kind of a, a backtracking uh, to some degree. I guess that now there's a two-month window on new titles to drop that dollar on the pricing side as opposed to there being, you know, it used to be just one month. Um, so I w- And now, consequently, I am two months behind on all my DC yeah, stuff. It, it, yeah, I mean. <laughs> because I refuse to pay the higher price point. You know, yeah. I mean, the best way to, the best way to drive... To make comics a more reasonable price is to pay a reasonable price for them. I mean, as long as people are paying three ninety nine for a new comic, people they will keep selling it for three ninety nine. Yeah. You know, I re- I refuse to. You know. Yeah. I'm with you. Well, that being said, um. So what you reading, guys? Yeah. <laughs> Who wants to start oh, we're first? Done, uh, we're done kicking DC over and over again. Well, I mean, I I did read Zero <laughs> I Year. I joke, of course. Yeah. I did read Zero Year, Batman 21, which is the first part of the new uh, storyline by Snyder Capullo, and the inks are by Danny Mickey, and I don't know if it's just Mickey's inks or whatever. I mean, Capullo's art has been fantastic. I mean, you know, we've praised, you know, his his art and his ability and just him as a, him as a person um, and just how dynamic he is, but th- this issue really was, to me, top-notch. I mean, it, it just went to a whole new level. 
Um, and I'm not one that normally is a big notice. You know, I don't really notice the whole inker penciler thing too much. Um, but it's a lot sharper. It's a lot, um, it's a lot more well-defined. It's not quite so, um, Capullo can, can at times have like a kind of a scratchy style, I guess is my, my best way of explaining it. Um, but, but this is really just something special. I agree about the inking because I mean, Capullo's art is, is really good. Uh, in general, and this almost, it almost reminds me of the way, uh, Terry Austin brought out the best in John Byrne. You know what I mean? Like sometimes John Byrne could be a little sketchy or whatever, but Austin would just tighten everything up and make, you know, make everything very clear and, 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 and you know, well defined. And I really enjoyed this issue as well. I, I, you know, back, I remember back when they had, when uh, Batman Year One came out, then they had Batman Year Two that came out in Detective Comics following, I think, uh, Chuck Dixon on the script or Steve Englehart, one of the two. Uh, with a, a very young Todd McFarlane uh, doing the art, um, it was a story with the, the first story with Phantasm in the Phantasm uh, before they used it in the animated film, um, where Batman is using a gun. Um, I always wondered you know, why they didn't tell more stories in this early part of Batman's uh, career because it's a very interesting part. I mean, he's not as sure of himself; he's still trying to figure out where everything is going and, and where he's going with what he's doing, and. Uh, it's very interesting, you know. I think it's the same kind of interesting you brought when uh, you know Nolan's Batman Begins came. You know, I like the new version of the Riddler. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. I don't know if yeah. it's supposed to be like this in, in continuity Riddler, but I liked it, and I liked the backup story about his uh, about how he learned to drive. Yeah, uh, with the art by Ra- by Raphael Albuquerque, that was really a nice uh, backup piece, and I, I'm liking that they put the backup stories in. I think that uh, was. And I read detective comics sometimes as well, and they do that in there. Yeah, yeah, and that was very well done. It's more kind of like that painterly style that Albuquerque has, but yeah, it's just it's it's really good. And I like one of the things I've liked about the backups on on Batman is they seem to complement the main issue, um, whereas sometimes these backups can be just completely random or you know way off the grid. But these these all have been Snyder's been really good about you know keeping them in line with the main story. Um, but there's some, there's some really cool stuff in here. There's a lot of like Easter eggy kind of things, um, with this story. It's kind of told weird narratively. Um, because, you know, right off it starts off with five years ag- or six years ago. Um, and then we immediately jump like five months prior. So it's kind of like this weird narrative style about the, the way that time's jumping around. Um, but we see this Batman, on his early incarnation of his motorcycle with the short sleeves, um, which is kind of a cool look. And he's got like, you know, like a climbing rope and a backpack and a, you know, a crossbow and stuff. It's just, um, we see what I thought was cool was they showed like the new Wayne tech tower and it had what looked like the Batman ears at the base of it, which I'm guessing, did you, are you thinking that the, the point of the penny was to hoist it up at the top of the building or was that just supposed to be, just like a, a a piece for the for them to put in the front, like just a a mural in the front of the building or something. I didn't think it was supposed to go up the building. I just thought it was part of the other stuff. I I felt kind of burned by the end of death of, death of the family. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I just I, I just felt like it was kind of at the ending was kind of a cop out, and um, you know, not that I I you know. I, I, I'm not writing the book, so, but I just felt the ending was kind of a big disappointment and a letdown, so I'm willing to give Snyder a chance with the zero year thing, uh, see, you know, where he goes with it and stuff. Um, so far, so good, though. Did you get a bit of a Nolan Batman Begins vibe with some of the flashback stuff to the young Bruce and his dad and just kind of that, 
that feeling of, you know, when they went into the city and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I did. Like, like I said before, it's the same kind of, uh, you know, area, you know, of Batman's yeah. life that was covered in Batman Begins. So definitely, you know, resonates in that, in that way to me. And, um, it just, it, it's an interesting story and the art is good. So I will check it out. <laughs> but, uh, like I said, I felt kind of burned by the ending of the last story. So we'll see where he goes here. So who's, who's next? Let me jump in with an independent that debuted uh, today. We were recording this on Wednesday, the 12th of June. So this book just came out today, issue number one. And it's The True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys, uh, written oh. by Gerard Way and drawn by Sean Simon. I just I just read it uh, about a half hour ago. So I'd say my take is is, you know, the nutshell version would be this. If you liked the writing in Umbrella Academy, which I did, you'll like this. Probably. If you couldn't stand the writing in Umbrella Academy, probably stay away from this, because it's a very similar... Um, I mean, it's not quite as uh, convoluted, and I, and I only mean convoluted in terms of timeline, where you're sometimes not sure, like, what's going on in relation to in what. Like, that was a little bit more so in Umbrella Academy. But it's still a little bit obtuse in a way that I enjoy, but I can see why someone wouldn't like it. But it's fun. It's very... Um, I don't know if, if uh, Gerard Way has a Fabulous Killjoys side project. I meant to look that up, and I didn't. But it definitely feels like this could be the comic adaptation of a, a concept album or a concept band, or um, maybe vice versa. I could totally fill that in if you want. Oh, go right ahead, sir. The, um, the, the series is a sequel to a, uh, my Chemical Romance album called Danger Days, which was their fourth album which is about the followers of, followers of the original Killjoys. They fight against uh, the better living industries. Uh, also, real quick, the, the, this, the, the comic is written by Gerard Wade, uh, Gerard Wade and Sean Simon, and Becky Cloonan is the artist. Ah, uh, you are correct. I misread that. Um, but uh, I, I agree. I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was the same kind of quirky universe building that we saw in, in Umbrella Academy. Uh, it was a cool concept. I'm not familiar with the album, the concept album that this spins out of at all. But you don't have to be for the comic. It, it sets up the backstory for you. Uh, yeah, I followed it just through. fine. Yeah. Uh, Becky Clune's art is, is really great. Uh, I've been following her for, for a while now. And, uh, I mean, I just really, I really... Um, I think she nailed it on this. She, I mean, we're used to seeing, you know, Gerard Way working with Gabriel Ba, who of course is also a very creative artist. Um, but I mean, this is a, a good uh, pairing, I think, of, of, you know, Way's kind of quirky scripting and, and her, you know, very, um, it almost looks like, uh, the, the artist who created the gorillas, um, whose name I, I can see that, right sure. Now. You know, that kind of stylistic, uh, um, vein. But I really v- enjoyed Very it clean well. lines, very vibrant colors. Um, right. it's a, it's a rock and roll inspired world, basically, you know, like a lot of, uh, you know, 80s post-apocalyptic movies. It's kind of that kind of world, but everything is inspired by music. You know, this group is very much uh, the goth <laughs> music. This group is very much the punk music, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I-, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I'll have to check out that album now. Like I said, I, I followed this just fine, but uh, it felt in a lot of places like a song. And part of that is because several of the characters speak in rhyme. Um, and some of the captions speak in rhyme, but uh, this this really did appeal to me. It seemed like the way we see like uh, superhero archetypes played with in other books, like The Victories or Astro City or Powers, we're looking at rock star archetypes being played with here. Yeah, and uh, and that's kind of cool, I think. 
Yeah, so pretty much if you liked Umbrella Academy, check this out. If you're a big music fan, particularly 80s music fan, I'd say check it out. And uh, if for nothing else, flip through it and check out the art because uh, it's uh, pretty cool looking. I, I do like Becky Cloonan, but man, I was not a, f- a fan of Umbrella Academy when it came out. And um, I think both Jim and I really like it, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely not the world's most um, clear and concise story by far but i kind of enjoy that i mean it's it's i'm certainly i would certainly not put it on the same level as like say hickman's writing but i i enjoy a style and a structure that both gerard way and and jonathan hickman use where it's sometimes you just don't know where the scene takes place you might not know where that scene took place until five issues later but uh i still enjoy it did you read the old school doom patrol ever russ no, like the, you know. the, the original old school Doom Patrol. No, because that's what kind of Umbrella Academy reminded me of was like a bunch of uh, misfits who couldn't get along, or like the, even the original X Men. You know, it kind of yeah, which just was like a take on that. I thought, and I, I really enjoyed it. And I like Gabriel Ba. I mean, his art on that, you know, is is beautiful. I, I you know, everything he does, I, I've checked out. I've, I've been impressed by. It, so. And to anyone who likes his art, you need to check out the graphic novel Day Tripper. Yeah, we're uh, going to be doing that. Fantastic. we got to be doing that on LOD eventually because Absolutely. Uh, I totally agree. That's a great, great book. It's unlike anything else I've ever read in comics. It's just very, very different, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I was uh, – you know, and that's another thing too is I'm I'm kind of in the minority here, um, but I'm not a fan – I'm not a huge fan of the Gabriel Ba, Fabio Moon art style either, so um, I, I – I think I, I'm interested to read Day Tripper just because I hear so much good about it, um, and maybe in the context of that type of story, that maybe their art would work better. But um, I, I wasn't a huge fan of, of the of their when they were doing the art on Casanova. So, uh, and and same thing with Umbrella Academy. So it's just personal taste for, for I me. I feel like um, with Day Tripper, and it has been a couple years since I've read it, but I feel like it, and I haven't read, what was the other book you mentioned that they did, uh, Casanova? I haven't yeah. read Casanova still, it's on my to-read pile. That's a, but, um, that's a head-trippy fraction book, so, um, right, right. yeah, it's, it's kind of, yeah, interesting. But comparing the art in Day Tripper to um, Umbrella Academy, I feel like Day Tripper was much more watercolor-based, um, not exclusively, but it just kind of had that feel. So uh, that might also determine whether you are interested in the art or not, whether you're not you like uh, watercolors. Yeah, it's just I mean, in general, it's it's fine. It, again, it depends on the story. It depends on the context. So, I got my wife to read Saga. That's interesting. And what did you think? She liked it quite a bit. I got her the first trade when I was at Heroes Con for five bucks. Oh, nice deal. And uh, I figured, you know, at that price, I'd be, you know, might as well pick it up and uh, gave it to her as part of her many gifts I brought back. And uh, she really dug it. She read it all in one the one trade all in one night and asked me for more. So, Saga, pretty awesome. I even saw some Marco uh, cosplay when I was at Heroes Cons. That's cool. Yeah. Did Have you guys uh, checked out um, Thanos Rising? I have indeed. Yeah, me too. I am enjoying it quite a bit. I um I even uh, I know I keep talking about this, but I just got back from Heroes Con like three days ago, so I actually got to meet Jason Aaron. Uh, had him sign uh, the first issue of this for me, 
and I asked him about his research on the character. He said he went back and read, you know, all kinds of stuff from uh, the Marvel archives to get, you know, the, the history right and the, the continuity right. And it really has. If you go through, I mean, if you read the issues so far, everything is done fits right in, I think. And the Simone Bianchi art I really like as well. Um, I think it really fits um, the story that he's telling. And I really like what he's doing with it so far. And I think Aaron is a perfect choice to tell the, you know, the Thanos year one uh, type tale. Yeah. I was going to say, Bianchi can kind of run hot and cold for me. There's some characters I think he renders very, very well, and others I'm not such a big fan of. But I, I agree, Jim. I think um, his art style works well with this book. And so far I've liked it. I mean, I haven't read issue three yet. I've read the first two. Um, but, yeah, so far I, I like you know what I'm reading. And knowing this is all – I think this is all kind of heading towards infinity, so – I wanted to to make sure I was I was kind of in the loop. It just it just seems odd with an origin story of Thanos as a small child. It just it, it it's like one of those things when you think about it. It's like you never picture him being a child. You always, you know you always just He's picture a weird him looking kid. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know you just always uh, you know I guess you envision some some characters as always having been adults from day one. Um, so it was just kind of interesting to see him, you know, as a small child and then as an adolescent and to see what, what's going on. But, uh, but it's been a pretty intriguing story so far. I've, uh, I've, I've enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Yeah, I wouldn't say I love it, but I, I've liked it quite a bit and I'd say it's been getting better as it goes along. I, I really think, uh, issue three was my favorite so far and, uh. For as brutal as the end of issue two was, uh, it's got nothing on the end of issue three. My my only real complaint about the book is I feel like the end game. And granted, yes, this is a prequel. This is an origin story. So we know where the character ends up. But even with that, I still feel like some of the stuff is really not telegraphs, not the right word, but I can see where it's going. And just because I know where the character is going to end up, like, and granted, I could be completely wrong, but the girl he keeps, you know, hanging out with. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt in any of our minds who that character probably is, but the fact that it's never referenced and is kind of kept off to the side is almost annoying because I, I pretty much know where it's going. I figure, and granted, like I said, I could be completely wrong, but that aside, it, it is an enjoyable book, and the art I really have enjoyed quite a bit, and like I said, has just gotten better every issue I've read. What about the other big uh, doing going on at Marvel right now, Age of Ultron? Um is uh is modern? I I, t- I tweeted this to uh, Tom Brevoort the other day. But uh, is Ultron gonna show up in this book ever outside of flashbacks? Ever? Yeah. yeah, I was wondering about that myself. I mean, this book should be right up my alley. I love alternate history, alternate future, alternate timelines, time travel, all every element in terms of the overarching plot structure in this book is you know screams. This is for you, Jordan. But the actual execution is just weird. Like, oh, we're going to do this for an issue. Now we're going to do this for an issue. This issue is completely different. This next issue is a different thing. And again, aside from flashback, a single one that happens at the end of issue nine, Ultron has not shown up ever in this 10-issue miniseries entitled Age of Ultron. Now, I I do think I I have a guess as to why that might be, but I'll, I'll wait until we get to the end of this conversation to say what I think it might be. I cannot agree with you more. I love alternate history, alternate timeline stories. Going back to the old uh, uh, what-if comics in the 80s and 90s, you know, 
uh, Kingdom Come, Earth X, you know, all the different, um, even the Ultimate Spider-Man, you know, or, or you know, different offshoots, uh, different alternate realities. I mean, again, uh, you know, I, I thought this would be tailor-made for me, but it's just the the first issue uh, and the second issue pretty much have the same content in them. Uh, there's really, it, it just has been done so many times before and much, much better. You know what I mean? I, I, I didn't care. You know what I mean? It just kind of seemed like, oh, it's this again. Now, oh, now we're missing Hank Pym, you know? Last time it was No More Mutants, you know? Or, uh, it just, it just seemed like very gimmicky and, I mean, and while it's fun to have the intellectual exercise, well, what would the Marvel Universe have been like without Hank Pym? Uh, this miniseries is not worth taking that exercise to its, you know, logical extent. I, I just have been incredibly disappointed and, and cannot recommend it in any way. Wow. I, the, the one thing for me, overall I've enjoyed it. The one big criticism I have for it is, it's a 10 issue, you know, event or 10 issue series that could have probably been told in five or six. Bendis, hello. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you kind of know what you're getting when you get into that, that deal, but it's almost like they told it in reverse. They spent so many issues in this dystopian quote, age of Ultron future where nothing really happened. And then when we get to the part of the story where things are really happening, you know, two teams splitting off, you know, Wolverine and, the Invisible Woman going into the past to take care of Hank Pym, like all that stuff. And then when they get back to the present, it's it's basically like Age of Stark or whatever. All this stuff happens, all that stuff happens, and it's just it's it's breezed through so quickly. And then they go back and you know and and put things right or whatever. Um, and we're waiting for issue ten at this point. But it seems like they should have done it in the reverse. They should have given it like a one or maybe two issues max setup of of the this dystopian present or whatever whatever it is and then used the longer form to flesh out the more in my opinion the more interesting stuff um you know where they go back and they you know kind of this butterfly effect thing and then and then give us more of that but it's almost like he 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 drug out the beginning and then compressed the end which just seems kind of weird but uh i you know i'm i'm a, i'm kind of a sucker for alternate history you know crazy time travel stuff and you know things you know people trying to do the right thing and then end up making it worse uh and i'm really curious how this ends but i think you know jordan i think to your point you, you bendis uh, if anything else he's pretty deliberate so the fact that he's made a point of not having ultron show up um or at least at least in the press i mean we you know we saw the early prototype or whatever in in the in issue nine but i i think it's deliberate and I think there's there's a reason behind it. And I think I think there's going to be I'm hoping I'm really hoping there's an interesting twist with issue 10, um, you know, that comes out, I guess, n- next week that 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 10th issue is out. I pretty- believe so. I think I just saw an article went up on CBR earlier today that said something about uh, coming Wednesday. Uh, should should that lead into my theory as to what it's going to be then? Yeah, it's all speculation at this point. I, I don't have a problem with it. And, and, yeah. Jim. OK, so. Oh, sorry. Oh, I don't care. Go ahead. Yeah. Cut out my sputtering there. Um, so my theory, based on what we've read in the first nine issues, and also on what we know comes after, you know, the um, uh, Avengers AI and, and all that kind of stuff, my theory is that by the end of this 
miniseries crossover, whatever you want to call it, event, Hank Pym will be Ultron. And that the two characters will be one and the same for whatever reason, either he gets damaged, you know, he gets grievously injured and has to rebuild himself as Ultron, or whether what Wolverine did in the past turned him in Ultron in some way. Um, I think by the end of this, it'll be Age of Ultron, because coming out of it, Hank Pym will be a- will be Ultron, and we'll see that these ten issues, or nine issues so far leading up to it, were his journey to becoming that character. And that kind of works for me, but I think even that is kind of dumb and disappointing. But it's also the best twist I can come up with to why they would possibly call a 10-issue series in which nine of them, Modern Ultron, never shows up Age of Ultron. It makes, it makes sense. You know, yeah. really, I mean, if they're going to try to bring him into the forefront like that, that's a, that's a good way to try, I guess. Like I said, I'm I'm curious just to see if this has... It's kind of a weird event to begin with, right? Because this, this thing was written and mostly drawn like two years ago. You know, this was supposed to take place before AVX... And AVX has been over for almost a year, you know, going on almost a year at this point. And, and uh, it seems like they're trying to shove, shuffle it out the door before Infinity begins. Yeah. Because they already are doing Infinity tie-ins, you know, on the horizon here, and they're still working on it, trying to get Age of Ultron out. Right. Well, we already know at this point how, in you know, Infinity, how much, you know, quote-unquote Infinity, quote-unquote, matters. We know more about that than we do about Age of Ultron. Infinity hasn't started yet, and we're already nine issues into Age of Ultron. Yeah. Well, and I think I think part of it with Age of Ultron, I don't know if maybe it changed like originally it was meant to be something that springboarded to something bigger. Um, well, it was supposed to happen like what, two years ago? Right. That's what I was saying. Yeah. But it was before AVX and then AVX kind of kind of preempted it. But Hitch had done a bunch of the art and the scripts were all written, um, which kind of accounts for some of the weirdness in the beginning, you know, with some of the characters that weren't around at that present time or, you know, it being Doc Spidey and not. Peter Spidey, but... Although, to be fair, for all of the tie-in, you know, AU issues I read, they all did a pretty good job of explaining those differences away. And I think that was probably the main reason for that. I think they realized, oh, crap, we wrote this two years ago. We need to do something to explain away why some of these characters maybe are not acting quite right or, you know, why, you know, these things are going on or whatever. But either on Earth, period. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think part of it is... I, I think this thing just may be like, well, it's been, you know, this is kind of Bendis's last big Avengers hoorah. Let's get it out the door and it'll be what it is. And, you know, Hickman's, Hickman's kind of the man right now, I think with Mar, at Marvel in general, but specifically with the Avengers line. I mean, he is, um, you know, he's, he's kind of like what Bendis was, you know, 10 years ago, at least, at least on that line. So he's kind of the man at Marvel and at Image right now, which is true. pretty crazy. Yeah. He kind of has at least, I'd say, a 50% market share in two fairly major companies. Yeah. Absolutely. But like I said, overall, it hasn't been great, but it hasn't been horrible. Um, I I just really wish Bendis would learn to compress his storytelling down. I think when when he first started doing it, I think it was kind of this novel. I mean, you know, decompressed storytelling wasn't. A, a new thing, but he really kind of hit it on the head and, and especially with ultimate Spider-Man. Um, and then some of the, some of the, um, even some of the daredevil stuff. But I think, you know, I think everything has its, its ebb and flow. And I think we're ready to flow the other way. 
when he when he first introduced that style, that kind of conversational, more character driven style, it was novel at the time. It wasn't something we'd seen in a long time, uh, in in you know mainstream comics. So, you know, like you said, Russ, um, you know, that time has passed. We we're looking for something else now. You know. So speaking of Hickman, I know Jordan, you've been reading it, and I've been I've been reading it as well, Jim. I'm not sure. Have you been reading Manhattan Projects? Yeah, I haven't gotten the latest issue yet. I just, Which is awesome. I think the last one I read was 11. Yeah, and 12 yeah. came out today. Yeah, 12 will be in my DCBS shipment, but yeah, I did read through 11, and it, it, it's just... The, a, the big showdown in issue 10, was it, where the, the two forces clashed? Um, was 10, was, 10 was the the all the Oppenheimers. Yeah, so I think it was 9 that had the big yeah. battle. Yeah, that big battle was was one of my favorites of the year so far. That was yeah. just incredible. Yeah, I liked Eleven a lot. Eleven was kind of like a more of a kind of like a catch your breath kind of kind of issue. You know, just kind of a a story of you know about this friendship. But it was it, it had a lot of uh, I think Hickman was maybe channeling a little Watchmen in there. Um, when the one doctor, I, I forget which which doctor it was. Um, it's Fermi and Dolligan. Dolligan, yes. You know, has the accident with the atomic thing, and he gets blown up. And when that when that panel shows like his skeleton and how he's kind of dissipating, it looked very much like, uh, you know, the the John Osterman, uh, you know, thing from Watchmen. Uh, and then he, you know, when he has to have this containment suit and stuff like that, it's just it's really cool. And they do some some really. I mean, Patara's art, I think, is is really. I I think that style is very fitting for that book, and I, I I really I really like what he's doing. But there's some really interesting things with color in that book too. When they you know flash to the past, they they use like a um, you know a very monochromatic color style. Um, you know, lots or, or predominant or there's two colors. Like there's a red and a blue, and that's it. Um, it's a very Hickman design choice. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but it, but just just really well done. I mean, it, you know, it's it's easy to not get confused. I mean, not in so much that what you know, that book can be very confusing just because it's very high concept and and talks about a lot of things that are you know kind of over your head. But I mean, as far as following the story and knowing what's going on, um, those techniques I think are great because they help keep you know okay you know what's in the past you know what's in the present you know there's no there's no confusing things at all. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just a really really good book. I mean, I think it's just very well written, very well drawn, um, and I, it it I know it's getting a lot of clout at 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 Image. I think it sells fairly decent, um, but it's up for it's up for an Eisner this year too. So fingers fingers and crossed. well deserved. Yeah, yeah, definitely fingers crossed for that. And I got to say, if you guys both liked issue eleven, issue twelve is pretty much a direct sequel, but it's just focusing on Fermi rather than Dolligan, although they're both in it. Nice. And it kind of continues. It shows a lot of the same stuff from issue eleven, but from Fermi's perspective, as well as a lot of flashbacks from the entire series. Actually, there's a few key moments from prior issues that it touches on and gives you a little bit more information about what was really happening if you will and it's fascinating stuff and the ending again i'm not spoiling anything but the ending is awesome is it being collected in six issue trades or four or five pretty sure it's six okay because this definitely feels like the end of a trade the way this issue ends yeah while we're on the uh, hickman kick should we jump over to avengers and new avengers sure 
So Avengers and New Avengers, uh, I'll just jump in and say this before uh, my thoughts on the book. I, I generally love both of them, but I, I find it interesting. And this is, of course, me getting defensive because I love Hickman. But there are two major groups that really dislike Avengers and New Avengers. And I find it interesting because they're so contradictory. One group decries that nothing happens in the issues, that they're just people talking and nothing happens. And the other group complains it's all action and stuff and and there's no character development. And to me, there's a good mix of both, but I just find it very interesting that there are very vocal dissenting, very large vocal dissenting groups that both have problems with one half of the story and want more of the other half. I think uh, a lot of what he's doing here is setting the table for Infinity. A lot of the alternate reality stuff that he's doing in Avengers and in New Avengers. Um, and now, you know, with the introduction of the High Evolutionary at the end of Avengers 12, I, mean, I know he used him to pretty interesting effect in, in his Fantastic Four run. Uh, he has pretty good, you know, uh, interesting uh, take in, uh, on that character, too. So it'll be interesting to you know, see the implementation there. And bringing in Doom with uh, New Avengers number six. Yeah. We know he can do some awesome stuff with Doom. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> I um, I, I just think I, I really like what he's doing. I don't. I think there is a good mix of action and uh, and, and dialogue, and I think uh, the dialogue is is pretty good when it is there. We get the little moments between the characters, and we also get you know the you know them off doing super heroic things, and it's all working to the service of a bigger story. Well, it just seems like a lot of the stuff with the alternate realities and the alternate universes is setting the table for infinity and kind of just, you know, like giving you a bit, a tidbit here and there, kind of whetting your appetite for the main course, as it were, of the, the big crossover this summer, I think, anyway. That's the way I'm kind of seeing it, you know, the whole thing with the Black Swan and, and New Avengers and, you know, the different realities, you know, trying to keep them from crouching into one another. I really think that's uh, where the story's going to spin from. Which is very similar to what he did in FF and Fantastic Four. It's just he didn't have an event to work with as well. Um, I, I kind of feel like, and I understand why people, I, a lot of people are upset that, you know, oh, this is all just prelude. And I can kind of understand that. But at the same time, if he, there was no Infinity event and the same exact content just happened across Avengers and New Avengers instead of also having this event, I don't think people would have the same problem. But it's just kind of... This this disconnect that because it's a third book, which uh, granted it, it is more money, and I and I understand that more money is more money. Um, because it's a third book, it almost feels like a lot of people feel like the the you know Avengers and New Avengers are cheapened in a way because they're in service to this third book. See, I don't know though. I think that the Prelude story is interesting enough that it could stand on its own, even if there, like you said, there wasn't an event coming up. I'd still say it was. Uh, you know, an interesting adventure story. And I like his different both takes. Both books or, or just one or the other? Oh, both. I, I, really? I, and I really, I think they would, I think they would stand on their own, especially, um, the adjectiveless Avengers. I really like what he's doing with these characters that are kind of, had been throwaways for a while, like Captain Universe and, uh, and Hyperion. Hyperion um, is awesome. Yes, Starbrand. And Star, the Starbrand and, and Nightmask. Um, you know, a lot of things that have just been kind of tossed in the junk pile in Marvel. He's taking out and dusting them off and, uh, and making them interesting again. So, uh, I know all that's going to play into Infinity too, but I think, I really like the big ideas in New Avengers. Um, the, the adjectiveless Avengers are like kind of the big set pieces that go on in there. But as far as like the big ideas and the big think pieces in New Avengers, I really like that. And I love the, the kind of animosities that, 
you know, have grown up among the uh, the new Avengers, you know, the Illuminati, quote unquote, like between Namor and, and T'Challa, you know, and, and things like that. Those little character pieces really make the book for me. Uh, so I, I really have been enjoying both of them quite a bit. What were your thoughts on, I think it was issue number 10 of Avengers, where it was basically uh, the Avengers play James Bond? Because I loved that issue and what it did with AIM and everything. Yeah, I thought I, I, I really um, I, I like the way he's been breaking it up too. We had the you know the big the three issue arc to kind of introduce everything. Then we had three issues where we we're kind of introduced to uh, you know these lesser known characters. You know the new um, uh, Smasher and the and the new Hyperion and this new take on Hyperion. Which you know now I want now after reading him you know write Hyperion, I really wanted to do Superman. I think yeah. a Hickman Superman comic book would just blow the back of my brain. Oh off. man, yeah, uh, <laughs> book, I can tell you that for yeah, sure. I, yeah, I agree. I I think I think if it was Hickman on the action reboot instead of Morrison, man, I think I think it still would have been very different from what. I, I mean, I have a lot of love for the Burn revamp, but I think he could have done some. Some something very different and made it very interesting. I, I totally agree. Totally agree. It's weird though, because sometimes these writers, um, like look at what Paul Jenkins did with the Sentry, as opposed to what Paul Jenkins actually did on Superman. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but but the way he writes Hyperion really makes me want to read a heck of a Superman book. I really I love the Grosby House on that character. It's it's very interesting. Particularly in his interactions with Thor, the the two of them together are very formidable, both in power but also just in interesting characters duo. Yeah, they do play off one another well because they're both in the same kind of rarefied air, as it were. But uh, I've been enjoying both those books quite a bit. Yeah, I, 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 I'm I, in Jim's camp with that. I think they stand fine on their own, um, and I think they're very well done. I think the art has been, while it's changed quite a bit, more, more so I think on Avengers than new, um, but it's been consistently solid. Um, and I just, I, I have kind of this, um, um, crazy love with the new universe. I thought it was a cool concept back in the day. Well, I know a lot of people shun it, but there was some good stuff in there, I think, overall. And they had some, some pretty decent creative teams on it. Uh, and, and to see some of that kind of creeping in, in a modern way, um, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan of. And I gotta shout out the new Avengers covers. Uh, they are just gorgeous. Any one of them I would be happy to have a framed poster of. I think, are they all by Jock, or do they have various people doing them? Because they all have the same color palette. Uh, the, the red and the black. I think... I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't think Jock's done all of them. I don't know who else has, though. They they certainly feel of a piece, though. They, they all feel like they, they fit together. Yeah. Speaking of Jock, he's next up on uh, Savage Wolverine after Joe Mads and Zeb Wells are done. He's gonna he's gonna pull a Frank Cho and write and draw both of them. So I'm 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 definitely looking forward to that. I would like to really quickly uh, shout out Valiant. Uh, Valiant yeah. Comics were the biggest uh, publisher at Heroes Con. DC wasn't there. Marvel wasn't there. Dark Horse Image not there. A lot of the creators were there, like. You know, Matt Fraction and Jason Aaron and, and Chris Moreno and, uh, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of the artists and writers were there just signing their own books or signing, you know, big two books. But the biggest publisher that was at Heroes Con 
was valiant and they filled up their panel um they had a lot of the writers there talking about their you know the plans for books in the future and everything and i have been uh, uh really enjoying quite a few of the new valiant titles i think they're pretty high quality i mean they have really good writers that uh, the art is really good and uh i just i really uh, hope people you know will give them a try they do have sales uh, on comicsology on yes. the valiant titles quite often uh if you if you have an eagle eye you can keep a lookout it's definitely worth it. I my personal favorites of the line would be probably be Archer and Armstrong. It just it's, it's super fun. It's just you know not something you have to think too hard about. It's just very uh, you know fun adventure. You know good guys, bad guys, uh, wacky plots, um, uh, cool historical context. Um, it's just a, it's a really fun book and, and you should check it out. Um, Harbinger. Uh, if you're a fan of X Men or if you're a fan of the show Alphas. Or yes. basically, you know, um, Harbinger is, is a take on that. And granted, while it's not, you know, it's kind of a shop-worn premise, uh, the, 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 the flavor they bring with the Valiant Universe to it is pretty interesting. Uh, young people who have these abilities who don't quite know how to control them and the people that are trying to control uh, these young people. Uh, lately, uh, just recently, we got the third issue of Harbinger Wars, which is the first really big... Uh, crossover uh, deal with uh, Valiant. It's interesting, this is the first time they've ever uh, had a crossover in the new Valiant universe where they actually added another title that you had to buy, but there's only one title that you're buying. So that's not too bad, I think, you know, when you get the whole story and you only have to buy one extra book uh, for the event. They're being smart. You know, they, I guess what, Exo Manowar was the first title. Right, and they just, they're just wrapping up a really great story. Uh, Carrie Nord uh, is doing a planet death, uh, and just bringing back uh, the original EXO story uh, and, and retelling it in a really cool way. And, and again, another really solid book from Valiant, uh, Shadow Man, jo- Joshua Dysart, uh, really good stuff there. Um, I just again, like you said, they've been really smart. You know, sm- slowly growing, you know, a little bit at a time here and there, just putting out quality comics. So yeah. I really, I really hope you know our listeners give. Uh, you know, I, I know you. I know you love your DCs and your and your Marvels, but uh, you know, give Valiant a try. Give you know, just try. You know, when they have the you know the sales on Comicsology, you know, grab a couple issues for ninety nine cents. See if you like it. You know, I just I really like what they're doing, and I think they have a good a good uh, you know plan for the future. And they they aren't whipping out the chromium covers and the <laughs> lenticular yeah. holograms and stuff. Um, you know, they're just writing out. You know, just putting out good comics. You know, so. Yeah, I've I've used the ninety nine cent Comicsology sale to get, I guess the first eight or ten issues of Exo Man of War, Bloodshot, and Harbinger, and the next time they do a uh, Archer and Armstrong sale, I'm definitely going to pick up on that, um, and the same with Shadow Man, and then I'm assuming they'll do Harbinger Wars at some point. But uh, yeah, those are all great gets. I mean, I've that may be one of those, like when I finally do catch up through the 99 cent sales, um, you know, when they go and drop the price, cause I think they're all two ninety nine books. So I think when they, when they drop in that month, they're, they're like a buck 99. And those are there's some of those titles, um, specifically Harbinger, uh, and Bloodshot. I may, I may even just, you know, dip and, and grab them up for, for, a, for, for the two bucks. I know they're starting Quantum and Woody. That's the next one. And Hardcore, isn't it that, that, that's the, Hardcore is being introduced in Harbinger Wars. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they didn't. They haven't announced a new Hardcore title yet. But yeah, Quantum and Woody is the next title. Uh, Tom Fowler was there at uh, Heroes Con to kind of talk about it. 
uh, basically two idiots find superpowers. Jordan, I think if you you know you like the uh, the irrepressible Ant Man or the Kirkman Ant Man, that you'd probably dig Quantum and Woody. Irredeemable, but yeah, uh, and they're also doing a tie-in with IGN, yeah. where they're putting out like a, a single-page comic, like one a week or something like that, like to lead up to the book. Right, I, I got the wrong adjective on the Ant Man. Sorry about that. But yeah, <laughs> it's about it's about two douchebags who get superpowers and, <laughs> and what they do with them, and uh, a goat. Uh, that's that's it. <laughs> that's, it's it's really uh, it was a fun book back in the day, and I, they really um, uh. The, the, I think the the team they have on it is really it's going to be a fun book uh, um, for, from them. So I'm you know definitely looking forward to that. Uh, Tom Fowler is a really good artist and, and a nice guy too. So cool. A couple. I got a couple real quick. Uh, one, the Dark Horse Star Wars stuff continues to be really solid in my opinion. The Agreed. the bet the Betchko and Hardman. Um, Star Wars Legacy is is really good about um it takes place after the the previous volume of Legacy and it's Han and Leia's I think great great granddaughter um Ania Solo and it's really cool because she's really they really are shying away from the the force aspect with her character as opposed to what they did with Kate Skywalker um and made him very very much a part of the force and he was very much uh understood his legacy with this new character, they haven't really mentioned her lineage very much at all. I mean, it's still, you know, she's kind of like a definitely more of the Han Solo side than than the the Skywalker side, and and the and the Hardman art has just been very very good. So that that book's been impressive. The Star Wars Monthly continues to be good. Um, I'm enjoying that, um, and they keep doing these uh, Darth Vader minis. So the newest one is Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin, and it is very good. One of the things it takes place in the, of course, in the time period immediately, very soon after episode three. So it's between episode three and four time frame. And one of the things they're really doing is playing up this at this adversarial aspect between Vader and the Emperor. And the Emperor constantly kind of acts like a d- to Vader, <laughs> and Vader is starting to kind of catch on to it uh, to some degree. So it's it's really interesting um, to see that that evolve. Um, and, and you kind of start to see Vader become more of the badass that, you know, we knew him to be at the, at the beginning of a new hope. So, so, so that continues to be a, a really good, a really good series as well. I'm, I've been pretty impressed with all the, the Vader stuff that they've done and, the, and they've, they've done it a, a pretty good job because the one they did one, it was like Darth Vader in the ghost prison and it was, t- it wasn't really told from Vader's perspective. It was told from another character's perspective, but he was Vader obviously was heavily involved. So they've done a really good job to kind of mix it up and not make it just be oh another Vader min- miniseries. They've they've they found a way narratively to to break things up, and they've they've all been pretty good. And the last thing I'll talk about real quickly is Boom's um, Planet of the Apes Cataclysm. Um, that can yeah. T- yeah that continues to be really good. Um, and I guess. Daryl Gregory's um, Planet of the Apes story that he wrote is going to be wrapping up. I think the last giant size issue is coming out fairly soon, which is kind of uh, bittersweet. I'm, I'm glad we'll finally get another one, but um, I'm kind of sad that it's the last because I think he really gave that that universe with a shot in the arm that allowed you know some of these others to come in and do these uh, minis and ongoings. Did anybody read Joe Hill's Thumbprint? I did not. not. It's uh, a new 
book from IDW. The first issue came out today, um, and it is based on a, nove- a novella or a short story by Joe Hill. Again, this one is written by Jason Saramella, who also did uh, all the cape stuff with Joe Hill over at IDW, and art by Vic Malhatra. And it's uh, a army vet who spent several years, I believe, at Abu Ghraib as a guard, comes home to the U.S., and she's haunted very much by the things she saw and very much participated in at Abu Ghraib. And then she gets this letter in the mail. Not even really a letter. It's There's no stamp. It's just an envelope and a single piece of paper. And on that piece of paper in the center is a black thumbprint that she kind of recognizes but can't place. And so you're kind of dealing with the horrible things she saw and did, as well as is this kind of a black spot that she has received in the mail, like uh, you know, going back to the pirates and, and uh, Treasure Island and all that kind of stuff, or what is it? Is someone coming after her? What is going on? Like I said, so far only the one issue is out, and I believe it's going to be a five-issue series, uh, somewhere between four and six, and I really like this first issue. It is dark. It is not a um, a fun read. Like, even the cape was very dark, but it was a lot of fun as well, just seeing all the terrible things this character does. Um, this is not that. This is very dark and, in some ways, very depressing. And so, uh, for anybody who's very sensitive of, about the things that ha- have gone on in Abu Ghraib or uh, the War on Terror in general, this might not be the book for you. That said, I thought it was very well done. Well, Joe Hill's kind of... Bat in a thousand, so I, I might have to, to check that one out. Indeed, yeah, uh, we're we're not going to talk too much about Lock and Key tonight, I don't think, just because we have more Lock and Key episodes coming up in the future, of course. But uh, issue five of Omega just came out last week, I think, and then there's the two Alpha issues, which will be one volume al- uh, Alpha and Omega, or Omega and Alpha. I'm not sure how they're how they're going to title the trade, but man, issue five was crazy. The issues before that were crazy. I cannot wait to see how he and Gabe Rodriguez wrap this up. Yeah, five was, was five was probably my favorite issue of the series up to that point. Um, wow, really? Yeah, it just I, I I was of that volume or of the series total. It, it, it's definitely definitely my my favorite of that volume, but possibly maybe in my top five issues of the series as a whole. I mean, it was there was just some really cool stuff in there. Um, especially that ending. I mean, it just, you want to talk about a heartbreaker. I was just like, yeah. Oh man, it just, you know, rips your heart out and, 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 and stomps on it. It's just so well done. And that, that series just is so well done. I cannot wait. I pray that they are going to give this a, a really good omnibus treatment because to have this thing in, in like two volumes, I think would be a nice, you know, two oversized volumes with some extras and stuff. Man, I would I would grab onto that in a heartbeat. Um, and if they don't, then I'll go back and um, and get all the separate hardcovers and have those on the shelf because um, I, you know I've got it digitally. You know we get access to IDW's vault, so so we have it there. But I have purchased all of them on the Comicsology sale um, for you know for for ninety nine cents to get caught up. And I think even well for for Omega Five, I actually paid the um, no, it was for Omega. Four, I actually paid when it dropped in price. I, I actually paid that to pick it up, and when they do the same thing with five, I'll probably do that just because they're just they're it's just so so well done. Um, man, I just it it's just killing me to have to wait. 
I'll tell you right now what they need to release as the extras for the omnibus. They need full-size, fold-out blueprints of Key House, because we already know they exist. Um, Gabe Rodriguez, you know, completely designed the house as a real house, and those have been released in, you know, regular comic page size already in, in certain books. Um, they need to have those full-size, full, you know, you know, the full blueprint paper and everything, and they probably should have those skeleton keys. I think that's the name of the company, Skeleton Key, that makes the actual lock and key keys. They need to have each book come with a random key. I think that that would be an awesome extra for it. Even if both volumes are 100 bucks a piece, you know, that would be worth it. I've recommended lock and key to several people, and none of them have been disappointed with my recommendation. Every single one of them has loved it, and... uh you know, Omega is no is no, uh, no exception, and I can't wait till we do our episode all about Omega coming up shortly. It's going to be a love fest. <laughs> Have both you guys been reading Guardians of the Galaxy? Yes. Yes. Thoughts? Uh, it's okay. So, that's what I was going to say. It's just okay. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy it. It's certainly not up to the level of the Abnett and Landing. Uh, series from a couple years back. I mean, that was just start to end, just awesome. And there's nothing wrong with this. It's just it doesn't have quite that same feel. And also the whole every time Rocket shoots somebody, he goes blam, you're dead, or some variation of that yeah. is getting really old. You know, to kind of coincide with that, have you guys read the Nova series, the Jeff Loeb McGinnis Nova? I read the first couple of issues. I, I've also read all of them. Again, it's one of those. It's it's good. I enjoy it. It's not like blowing my mind or anything, but I'm I'm definitely enjoying it. I'm I'm enjoying that a lot. Uh, definitely a lot more than Guardians of the Galaxy. And it it just it just shows when Loeb is when he fires for me, he's he fires. I mean, he's either very hot or very cold for me. And I'm I'm glad to see him write this series. I think him and McGinnis make a, you know, just kind of like him and Sale. They just make a really good pairing. And and it's been it's been a pretty impressive book. Uh, I I really like what they're doing with the new, uh, you know, the new Nova character, the Sam Alexander character, uh, and and tying it into how how it's like this his version of Nova is almost like a secret version of the Nova you know core like this elite guard or whatever, and how this ties into his father and all this other kind of stuff. I I just it's just it's really really well done. Uh, it, it makes me kind of wish he was maybe writing Guardians instead of Bendis. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Fraction is like that with me too. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. His Defenders wasn't very good, and uh, but I love his Hawkeye, you know. And the Order was fantastic. And the Order was great, and but his Fantastic Four isn't very good. But I love FF. Yeah, so. I mean, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't quite say that Fantastic Four isn't very good. Like, I enjoy it, but FF is just amazing. It's so much better. I, I like FF a lot better than Fantastic Four, and I'm a, and I'm a big fan, I'm a bi- I'm a big Fantastic Four guy too. So. Right, right. And I think we've talked about this before, but I had really high, or I guess I should say really low expectations of FF going in. Like, I was very trepidatious about it just because I was so in love with what Hickman had done. And it just, even if I had had high expectations, you know, Fractions FF would have, you know, blown right through them. It is just such a fun book. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm enjoying FF quite a bit, and uh, especially, you know, Bentley. And, and the whole, uh, uh, the, the whole, uh, um, thing we just said recently with the, with the wizard, with the mind control trying to create like the, the frightful four as a nuclear family with, with Medusa, Blastar, and Bentley. It just, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's all red art or, or if it's just a lighter tone that Fraction's taking with, uh, 
you know, with with that book. But I just, uh, I, I just really prefer it very much to what he's doing with the regular Fantastic Four right now. Also, very much on the FF tick, I would probably put Young Avengers up there. I think you've read that too, right, Jim? Yeah, I've been reading that too. I've been, uh, those guys had a great indie comic called Phonogram that I really enjoyed. So when they were, I heard they were going to be on the Young, um, McKelvey and I'm going to forget the other guy's name now. It's, is it Yoast? No, anyway, no. No, no, it's, um, crap. Anyway. No, that's because that's the comic that's sitting in front of me. That has nothing to do with Young Avengers. Anywho, I, I, when I heard they were taking over Young Avengers, I was, I was pretty happy with that. And I, I am again, you know. I liked the book originally with, uh, you know, Heinberg and, and the Linu Yu art. Um, you know, I think Marvel's been trying for a long time to have a teen or, or you know, young adult teen, you know, comparable to DC's like Teen Titans uh, or what have you. So uh, hopefully this will take. I really like the visual style. I like the take on the characters. It's just a, uh, it's, it's an interesting, it's a cool book. And before you get to Spider-Man, I really need to shout out from Legendary Comics, the prequel comic to Pacific Rim uh, that just came out, uh, Tales from Year Zero. It's a 52-page comic with like kind of four or five stories built into it. Uh, it kind of uh, lays out the, um, uh, um, kind of the mythos for Pacific Rim. I know everybody is all at Twitter about uh, Man of Steel right now, but in a few weeks, or in about, well, about a month's time, I guess, um, the movie I've been waiting for will be coming out, Pacific Rim. And this um, comic was overseen by um, uh, Guillermo del Toro, uh, but it was written by Travis Beecham. Uh, and there are five different artists for the five different uh, um, stories, including Sean Chen and Yves Goucher and Chris Batista. Um, it, it's a really cool comic, and it's a really cool universe, and it just is, is really um, making you know wetting my appetite even more for this movie. Uh, it's been a little time in this world. Uh, Alex Ross did the cover uh, for the comic, and again, it's, it's legendary comics, but um, I think it's just like a, a tie-in to the movie. Uh, Pacific Rim Tales from Year Zero. I really liked it a lot. I feel like there was one other book I wanted to mention. I just want to look at the list before I go into the Spider-Man. Jordan likes Spider-Man. Jordan likes Spider-Man. He likes to talk about Spider-Man. Jordan talks about Spider-Man. Here comes Jordan with Spider-Man. There you go, buddy. (laughs) Okay, I'll skip those other ones. I'll just go to there. So, uh, you know, Jordan Spider-Man corner here real quick. Um, th- this week came out Avenging Spider-Man number 22, Venom 36, and Alpha Big Time number 5 of 5. And I figure I'll just talk about Alpha real quick first because uh, it's it's done now. This was a book I wasn't super excited for. Um, the Alpha storyline in Amazing Spider-Man wasn't bad, but it certainly wasn't up to par with the other things that had been going on in the book around that time, and I really did not like the art in this book the first time I looked at, like, preview pages. That said, I really enjoyed Alpha Big Time. Um, The art grew on me quite a bit, but beyond just growing on me, because it is very cartoony and kind of weird, it's it's kind of um, Nick Patara-esque in many ways, but there's a certain point, and I think in, like, issue three, where it kind of fell into place for me, and there was a couple things that the artist did, and the artist, let me just make sure I have this uh, 100% right, because it's uh, not a very common name, but uh, Nuno Plati is the artist, and there's a few things that either he or she, I don't know, does in 
issue three and going forward that kind of broke my brain a little bit in terms of comics art, um, in terms of the coloring, in terms of the composition. There's just a few things that I've never really seen done that way before, and they were very cool. And, and there's a, a equally cool moment at the end of, or near the end of issue five. But if you hated Alpha in Amazing Spider-Man, give this a chance, because this was actually pretty cool, and for me, redeemed the character back to a point where if he showed up in Amazing Spider-Man again, or if he had his own ongoing series, I think I would buy it, because this was really neat. But it, that's out of the way. You know, uh, Alpha is done for now. There's no plans at the moment that they've announced of um, an ongoing series or anything like that with the character. So Spider-Man right now, Avenging Spider-Man issue 22 is the last issue uh, that came out today, like I said. This was a series I wasn't really looking forward to mostly just because did I really want to buy another Spider-Man book but I picked up the first couple issues anyway just to support the um, the free digital copy because you know they talked about that at, at uh, New York Comic Con when we were there and I wanted I wanted to get behind that because I thought it was a cool concept and the book hooked me um, I've liked it from the beginning all the way through to the end it's just fantastic stories it's basically Spider-Man team up and it's been really cool but like I said with issue 22 it's going away it's being replaced by a superior Spider-Man team up it basically is the same um, same writer and everything Chris Yost but they're just rebranding it because of superior Spider-Man and I'm excited for that they're also introducing I, I believe it's the superior foes of Spider-Man is that the title does anybody know off the top of their head I think that's correct I know there's a double page ad in here somewhere Yes, the superior foes of Spider-Man. I don't know that I'm going to pick that up. It's basically stories about his enemies. They've done this in the past. I think the last book they did was just called Spider-Man that did that. Um, and it didn't really grab me the first time. I might check out the first issue. Um, but Superior Spider-Man is staying the same. We've got uh, Scarlet Spider. We've got Venom. Both of those are awesome. And Superior Spider-Man it just keeps getting better and better. They're also doing a five-issue Superior Carnage story, which... I'll probably stay away from, I'm not really into Carnage, but just in general, the, the Spider family of titles recently has just been firing on all cylinders, and it's, you know, it's covering everything from Texas to Philly to New York, um, very different tones in the various comics, I mean, they all tend to be a little bit darker now, just because of the nature of, of who's in the particular uh, tights in, in each book, but they're, every time I pick up a Spider-Man comic, the, regardless of the title right now, I'm pretty much enjoying it start to finish. I, I'm really happy with it. I, I would expect plenty of duds just because there's so many of them coming out, but they're really good. It's draining my wallet really fast, which is not something I like, but the stories are awesome, and the art is equally good. Cool. Yeah, I'm I'm a bit behind on my Spider-Man reading. I was keeping up with Avenging for quite a while, um, and then I read the first, I think, four, five, six issues of Superior. Um, so... At, I need to. I need to get caught up. Uh, so you didn't read nine then? No, no. Jim, did you read Superior Nine? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Was that the one with the uh, where? You, I'm sorry. No, I don't think I did. Superior Nine. I won't spoil. Well, I mean, I'll spoil the premise, but it's basically it, from the beginning of Superior Spider-Man. We've known that there's kind of this Force Ghost Peter still around in Doc Ock's head, and in issue seven or eight. Doc Ock finally figured out that Peter was still there, and he set apart, set about to excise that part of the brainwaves completely. So issue nine is a battle inside Peter Parker's brain, kind of Matrix-style, 
in terms of like, you know, constructs and everything between Ock and Peter. And it is fantastic. Beginning to end, really great issue. It delves into a bunch of Spider-Man history and, and particularly the issues of Superior Spider-Man and just kind of Peter and Doc Ock going back and forth over the decisions Ock has made in Peter's body. And if you are a Spider-Man fan like me, somebody who's been reading, I've been reading it for over 10 years now, or I don't know, many people have been reading it much longer than that. The end of that issue, as long as you're not one of those people who just completely hates the Ock thing and won't touch any book where Ock is Spider-Man, which I don't get, but hey, I understand there's a lot of people like that. As long as you're not in that camp and you're you're still interested in Spider-Man and still interested in this status quo, issue nine, the end of it, will break your heart in the best way possible. Um, it is... It was a dark, dark ending for uh, that issue and for a moment, a dark moment for Peter Parker and, and the actual Peter Parker. I mean, not, not even like Doc in his body, but just for uh, the brainwaves of Peter Parker, the ending of that issue. I wouldn't say it brought me to tears like, you know, FF22 or, or 23, I forget which issue it was now without my head, but it was one of the saddest things I've ever read in a comic book and it was so good. So I, I would say, if you're just even vaguely interested in the Spider-Man status quo right now, check out issue 9. It is really good. And that's it for Jordan Spider-Man Clarner. So how's Heroes Con, Jim? It was great. It was really great. I'm, I'm serious. It was one of the best comic convention experiences I've ever had. It was... I only go to really one big con a year, and last uh, few times it's been New York Con, and uh, I've been recommended Heroes Con by quite a few people, um, so I decided to go there instead this year, and it was a great, great drive down in a pimpin' car, and uh, I, I stayed in an incredibly swank hotel, way too stylish for someone of my ilk. I haven't been to a con like that before where there was so much access to the creative people. I mean, I got to talk to Jim Steranko for like 15 minutes. I got to talk to Jason Aaron, um, um, Matt Fraction, uh, just, you know, you name it, they were there. And because it wasn't as crazy and insane as New York Comic Con, you were able to like, you know, actually stand in line and wait for a sketch or, you know, could you, could you sign this issue of mine? You know, what kind of research did you do for the, you know, you actually talked to them. I, we, you know, we kept, I kept running into like, you know, uh, created, you know, artists and creators at the, uh, the hotel bar there, um, like all weekend long. And, uh, I, I never really had that kind of access before, uh, at a con and that was really cool. Uh, the art auction was incredible. I wish I had uh, deeper pockets. I would have come home with a lot of great, great art. They have uh, part of the con floor set up for the, uh, artists that are participating to each do a piece and you can watch them actually, you know, make the art there right on the floor. Uh, they had some really cool panels. Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor had a panel there. They had a panel with the Green Lantern writing team there. Um, they just, they, uh, it was just a really cool, relaxed atmosphere. Uh, a lot of fun stuff to do. Um, there was, uh, Charlotte was having a food festival at the same time, so I got to eat my way across, uh, across Charlotte, uh, with the, the DC Noise and some of the Dale, uh, Daryl Taylor podcast, uh, crew. Also, um, you know, we just, uh, ate some great soul food while I was down there. Uh, it's just, I, I can't recommend it enough. The coolest thing about it, I think, is it's very comic-centric. You know what I mean? Like, New York is, is a Comic-Con, but it's also an anime con, and a video game con, and a gaming con. And that's part of what makes it really cool. 
But what makes Heroes Con really cool is that it's very much a comic book convention. I mean, those other things are there, but to a very much a lesser extent uh, yeah. than like in New York or San Diego. It's very much focused on the comic books and the love of you know comic art. And uh, the shopping is incredible there. I got some great, great deals. Uh, you know, I got the, the Fantastic Four John Byrne Omnibus for 40 bucks. I got the X-Men Volume 2 Omnibus for 40 bucks. Uh, the one thing I didn't bite on that I probably really should have, they had the, uh, a guy had the Invisibles Omnibus. I don't know if you guys have seen that book. It's, uh, like, it's, uh, it's like a phone book for a major metropolitan city. It is huge. Yeah. Uh, he wanted a hundred for it. And I know it retailed for more than that. And I hemmed and hawed over it and never picked it up. So that's my big con regret, uh, for the weekend. But even at its, its most packed on Saturday, you were able to walk around from place to place. You weren't being jostled and, and, and bustled around. And there were so many great vendors. There were so many great comics. Um, I, it, it just was mind blowing the kind of deals that uh, were going on. So uh, I cannot say enough good things about it. It was, uh, and the hotel rooms in Charlotte are relatively cheap compared to other cities. Uh, because they do host a lot of conventions there. Uh, it was funny, um, uh, the Republican uh, Regional Convention was on the top floor of the convention center there in Charlotte, and the Comic-Con was in the bottom floor, which is much, much bigger. But my friend Ed Pisker from Wizzy, of WYSIWYG fame uh, w- rode an elevator with Karl Rove. Uh, <laughs> from, from the Bush administration. Um, Interesting. And he, he, that's the lizard, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the lizard. <laughs> I kid, I kid. Dr. Kirk Connors, a.k.a. Carl uh, Rove. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> I never thought of it that way, but okay. It was, um, it, it was super fun, and it just, the people were very friendly, and I met a lot of people that I only knew over the internet in real life, and I just had a great time, and it was just a lot of fun with friends, and very much a community thing, you know, it wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't, you know, the, the pace was very relaxed, and it was just very, uh, very cool. It was a little bit bigger than Pittsburgh Con, but probably about the size of maybe Baltimore Con, maybe a little bigger than that even. But um, the the vendors that were there, like I said, had a great selection. There were there were actually quarter bins. The, it was funny that the quarter bins were the bins that were not alphabetically sorted. Uh, the dollar bins were the bins that were. So <laughs> if yeah, you're if you're willing, that to, seems to be a trend. Yeah, yeah. If you're willing to dig, there were some. Great quarter comics there, but the, the dollar bins were full of really nice stuff too. And, uh, um, there were a few times I wanted to send pictures of, of stuff your way, uh, your guys' way to see if you, uh, you know, you wanted to, but to buy it right away. But I was running a little short on cash after my bit of a spree. So, uh, but I, I had a great, like I said, can't say enough good things about it. I think I want to go next year too. It's at the end of June instead of the beginning of June, uh, next year. So, um, yeah. That's, that's about it. And a uh, major shout-out to Renee Alvarado, a.k.a. Darth BX, my roommate for the con. Cool. Yeah, that one's definitely on my radar. I, I'm vacillating next year towards either going to C2E2 or Heroes Con. And for me, just because I have so much family in Chicago, C2E2 is an easy one to do because it'd be a relatively cheap trip and I get to see a bunch of family. Um, Heroes Con might be more doable next year, too, because my buddy Glenn is moving from louisville to atlanta um so that might you know that might be one of those things where i could fly into atlanta visit with him and then maybe we can hike up to to charlotte from atlanta um and 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 go that route so 
it may be possible that I could do both next year. We'll have to see how how the finances are, but that that's definitely one I just I hear so much good stuff about. You know, with it being comic focused, I'm I'm glad that uh, that that you enjoyed. Yeah, it. I am too. I just um I was I couldn't have been more pleased. It was just very much it was a comic book convention, you know, and that's exactly what I expected and. It's exactly what I got, and I, I had a great time. Like I said, I shout out the DC Noise crew and the Daryl Taylor Network guys and all the guys I hung out with when I was there, and uh, Jeremy Whitley from Action Lab and, and Kevin Freeman. Um, a, a lot, I saw a lot of people. Had a lot of people uh, with nice nice things to say about the podcast, too. Um, a couple of people asked about Johnny M if he was actually behind enemy lines in Somalia, and I told him I couldn't tell him unless... Uh, they want me to die. So, um, <laughs> but I won't say he isn't behind I mean, enemy lines. I cannot Wink. disavow or avow <laughs> that knowledge, sir. But anyway, yeah, Heroes Con was a great time. I, I cannot say enough great things about it, and everything you've heard is true. It's awesome. So go. Awesome. How was Comic Palooza? It was good. Um, I had the good fortune to be back to back with the Dallas Comic Con and Comic Palooza um subsequent weekends. And um I unfortunately I was only able to go to Comic Palooza on Saturday. Uh Friday's always tough because I cause I have to work and and going from Austin to Houston on Friday, I'd basically get there by the time the the con ended. Um and su- Sunday I had some family stuff come up and I, I couldn't make it back. But it continues to be an impressive con. Um, it continues to grow every year. Um, it continues to, you know, again, attract more people. Um, I think this year it may surpass the Dallas Con um, and, and Wizard World and maybe the biggest con in Texas. If not, I'm pretty sure next year it will. Um, and they get a lot of good support from the um, the Convention Center Bureau. The, the George R. Brown is the Convention Center in Houston, which is, is right by the baseball field and the and the basketball arena. Um, so it's kind of in that, in that, it, it's not really central downtown. It's, it's, it's kind of, um, on the eastern side of, of, of downtown, but it's in a, it's in a great spot. The one thing I, I love about this con, and I cannot stress this enough, and especially after being at the Dallas con the week before and then being at San Diego and having gone to New York, um, and even, even the Wizard World conventions in Austin. There is so much room because the George R. Brown is such a large convention center and they're generous with giving them a lot of space uh, to do what they do. There is so much room to walk around, to go sit, to kind of spread your stuff out. There's a lot of um, tables and sitting areas and stuff like that. Um, And it's just nice to not feel like when you're walking around, even though there's a lot of people, that you're not elbow to elbow and shoulder to shoulder um, and that it's, it's, you know, you feel real hot and uncomfortable. Um, it, it's, it's so open and airy and they crank the AC up, you know, pretty good that you're, you, it's a very comfortable convention. And that may seem like a trivial thing until you go to, you know, until you've been to New York on a Saturday or you've been to San Diego on a exactly. Saturday. That's what um, I liked about Heroes. Same deal. Lots of room. They had tables and chairs set up so you could sit down and relax if you had to. Um, you know, it's the same deal. It wasn't. It wasn't a really slow mosh pit like you know New York becomes on Saturday yeah. and Sunday. And so the, every year the layout kind of changes a little different, and I think a lot of it just depends on how much space the convention center allows them, what else is going on that weekend or or right after. Um, and it was split between the first floor and the third floor this year. Um, the first floor was all of the vendor area, the artist alley, 
and the celebrity um, stuff. And the celebrity stuff they had set up this year was very much like a wizard con where um, you kind of have this big open expansive area and then a bunch of booths set up with the, you know, the curtains draped behind it and the lines, um, you know, set up for people to get autographs with all of the celebrities. And they had, they had a pretty decent amount of celebrities this year. I mean, you know, big names, um, Patrick Stewart, his, his line was pretty much nonstop the whole time. Uh, Michelle Rodriguez was there and her line was just, it was probably the, the busiest of all. Um, and there, the, you know, the, a lot of the Star Trek, the next generation cast had, had a booth there. And Brent Spiner's a local to Houston. Uh, so that's obviously an easy one for him to, to get out to, um, the, the, they had a it was the Galacticon was going on at the same time so they had um, a lot of the Battlestar Galactica folks there Edward James almost was there um, I, you know I, I, for anybody that's listened to the show for a while knows I'm not a huge fan of the celebrity thing like that usually doesn't do anything for me I'm not one to pay you know twenty bucks forty bucks thirty bucks whatever to just you know get an autograph from from you know a celebrity or something like that um, I, I totally get the appeal I know there's a lot of people that. Um, that are huge fans like that and for them to be able to interact with these you know these folks is is great it's just not my thing um there are two people that i really wanted to meet and talk to uh, this year that were at the con and i got a chance to do both um the first one was chris claremont who is pretty much the reason i read comics to begin with i mean i cut my teeth on on claremont's uncanny x-men um i've been a huge huge fan of his ever since um, so I was able to take a couple things and get them signed. It, it, his line was really long and it took, it took probably almost an hour to get through his line. Um, and he stopped and, you know, he chat with people and stuff. So it wasn't, you know, rushing people through. Um, he charged a buck an item to sign, which usually comic creators don't charge that, but I didn't mind it because I think what he was trying to do was deter somebody from going up and flopping down, um, you know, 50 books on the table and having him sign them. And I think his thought was, well, if you want to pay 50 bucks, I think he was donating it to charity. I can't say that for certain, but I think he was, he basically was just kind of deter somebody from being kind of an a-hole and going up there and holding up the line. Um, so I had him sign my Mutant Massacre hardcover, and then I'm starting an actual X-Men jam piece, an art piece, um, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, so I had, I, I kind of ironed out a section for him to sign on that just because, you know, he's responsible for so many of the characters that, uh, that I love so much. And, um, so I did that. Artist Alley was, was pretty big this year. Um, it continues to grow. Not a lot of real big name comic people. Um, overall, I mean, uh, Bob Layton was there. There are several big name, big names, but not a lot of big names on the writer or the artist side. Um, Bob Layton was there. Of course, like I said, Chris Claremont was there. Bernie Wrightson was there. Um, he's an Austin guy. He, he moved, I don't know if he's always lived in Austin or he's moved there recently, but, but he lives in Austin. He shows up at Austin books a lot. And then the other one was George Perez. And this is the first time that he's, he's ever been to a convention in Houston. He, um, and he doesn't get down to Texas very much at all. Um, I think a couple of years ago he might have been at the Dallas Con. Um, but I never seem to catch him when he's there. And he was, they, they had it set up perfectly for him. What you did was you, you went up to his table and you got a ticket. And the ticket had a number, and all you had to do was come back to his table after that number had been called, and then pretty much you were next in line. So you didn't have to stand there and wait or, you know, going to lose your place if you had to go to the bathroom or, or whatever. You just had your ticket. So I went away for a few hours. I came back. I had my um, jam piece, and he was doing sketches and signing. 
So I had my copy of Teen Titans games, the hardcover, and I had my jam piece. And so I had him do, a, I was like, who can I get George Paris to do on an X-Men jam piece? And I was like thinking, thinking, thinking. And then I was like, duh, you know, beast. I mean that, you know, he, he kind of drew the, you know, you know, that I to me, the iconic version of beast, the, the, his original blue furry transformation uh, form. That's, that's my favorite version of beast. So I got him to do that, and he was actually sketching for forty bucks for the Hero Initiative. So I thought that was awesome that you know he wasn't you know doing it for his own you know personal monetary gain. He was actually doing it for Hero Initiative, and I thought forty bucks um, a little pricey for a jam piece, but given that it's George Perez, who I probably won't have an opportunity to see anytime real soon, um, and it was for a good cause, so I didn't I didn't have a problem paying that at all. Plus, it's really kind of cool to see that George Perez kicks off your jam piece, and I'm hoping it maybe makes whoever comes next to kind of elevate their game. Uh, when they put that on there, so I was I was really um, I was really happy with that. Um, I've got some pictures of it. I, I plan on I, I took a bunch of pictures from uh, Comic Palooza. I plan on putting them up on the website. So by the hopefully by the time this goes up, uh, if you go to hhwlod.com um, and click on the photos section, there should be a gallery set up for Comic Palooza 2013, and and I'll post the, just the pictures of the con itself. You know, of course, lots of cosplay. That's that's a big thing now. Lots of panels. They had tons and tons of panels. I mean, just panels for everything. Um, a lot of them are based on just either cosplay groups or just different groups. Not even like big, um, big, you know, stuff going on. And Patrick Stewart had a panel there, and I guess that was real big. He had um, kind of that big announcement that kind of got got uh, pulled back a little bit. I think it was related to um, X Men First Class. You know, just kind of talked about his experience on the movie and, you know, had a lot of praise for Hugh Jackman and um, and stuff like that. So I'm really uh, it's it's really getting to be a, a good con. And, I you know, hats off to John Simons, who I've known for, you know, almost 20 years at this point. He used to run a shop called Midnight Comics in Houston and, you know, basically sold the store to start up this show. And it's gone from being in one corner of a shopping mall to being in, you know, one of the largest convention centers in the country. Um, and it's, I really hope one day that we talk about a uh, comic palooza, like we do C2E2 or New York or San Diego or heroes or, um, Emerald city or, you know, some of the bigger ones that are around, um, that'd be kind of a little bit of source of pride for me just because I've, I've, it's not my hometown, but I did live there for quite some time and, um, probably will be back there, um, you know, within the next couple of years. So it, it, like I said, it just continues to be a really good con and I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be a part of it every year. And hopefully one of these days I'm going to get, um, Brad Frank and Bill or, or at least a couple of them down there for it. Um, because there is one of the things I didn't talk about, uh, too much is this kind of circus atmosphere. I've talked about this in the past, but they do, you know, wrestling and roller derby and, you know, crazy guys juggling knives and, um, you know, Quidditch matches and, uh, you know, people, you know, sword fighting demonstrations and stuff like that. It's it's just really, it, it's kind of cool to be able to just kind of go and absorb the comic book stuff um, and then go to another part of the con and just kind of sit back and relax and just, you know, watch roller derby or watch wrestling or, you know, watch, you know, whatever goofiness is going on. Um, and I think that's really what helps it set it apart and make it more of an event. You know, I, I definitely think it's one of those cons that, you know, you could go one day and do one thing and then come back and, and absorb some of the other stuff going on. Um, but, you know, I continue, again, I continue to be impressed and it continues to grow at a pretty rapid pace. So, you know, hats off and, uh, it was, it, it was a good time. It was, it was a really good time. Sounds awesome. I mean, I, I'm not really a con guy. I don't think, I mean, I enjoyed my trip to New York comic con hanging out with you guys, 
But uh, that one definitely sounds... Both both ones you guys talked about really do sound um, interesting and very different from my experience there, which was still positive, just not really for me. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's just it's it's comforting to not feel like you're packed in like a sardine and you know just uncomfortable the whole time you're there. Agreed. So are we BS'd out for June? I think so. That's a lot of comics talk. Yeah. Astro City's back. Everybody, go buy it. It's really great. You don't have to know anything about Astro City ahead of, uh, before it. You can buy the new first issue and be totally up to speed. No War Man is also awesome. Cool. What do we uh what do we think we're gonna do next? Do we know what we're gonna do? We got Man of Steel coming up on Real Heroes. And then uh I think the next comic centric thing we're doing is Saga volume number one, isn't that right? Saga is awesome. Cool. My wife even likes it, so there you have it. Ringing endorsement from Mrs. Dietz. Um so yeah, so check us out. Like I said, um the next podcast from mostly this group um hopefully we'll, maybe we'll get somebody else to join in i'd be curious if brad either enjoys it or not to have him jump in on the on the man of steel discussion because he he is a communist and does not like the christopher reeve <laughs> version of of uh superman the movie the donner version so i'd be really curious if if e- either way more so if he likes it because i think that'll be a good uh comparison to to how he didn't like it previously um, to talk talk on real heroes, um, and then like uh, Jim Jim mentioned, uh, next next show for us, hopefully, which will be in a week or two, um, I guess, will be Saga Volume One by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples, um, which we all rave about and was uh, up there on our duties last year. So um, yeah, so until next time, thanks for listening to the Long Walks of Doom. Buy some comics, people. They're awesome. Have a good week. Good night. The Black Beetle print was beautiful. Cool, I'll check that out. Because they, I guess they didn't bring enough with them to uh, Heroes Con, because by the time I found their booth, they were already sold out. And, uh... You're a liar. Do you remember, um, Jordan, do you remember in uh, Brawl Academy, the two guys with the anime heads? Um, yes, there were uh, people dressed as Hazel and Cha-Cha at HeroesCon. Yeah, that blew my mind. There was a lot of Venture Brothers cosplay. Um, quite a few Hank and Deans. He had the Batman uh, mask, the Hank I saw. Yeah, there were a lot of uh, a lot of good cosplay there. It was I just I don't know I it was refreshing to like even Pittsburgh in, in a lot of ways has become like a, an amalgamated con and that's cool, 
you know, like Comic Palooza having a lot of different things, but sometimes it's nice just to go to a comic book convention. It's all about comics. It was just really, it was cool because I, like I said, even Pittsburgh, you know, is multifaceted. I hadn't really been to a con in a long time that was really that comic centric. A lot of cool toys too. Uh, if I had room for more toys, I would have bought. I would have gotten them. <laughs> 